What's up, Bandive crew? James here. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever wished there was a way to connect with me as well as other listeners in real time? I have the solution. I finally got around to making a Bandive Discord server, which is people have been asking me for years and I just wasn't listening. I wish I had done this sooner because I couldn't be happier with the results. It's been fantastic. And we would love to see you join us. We have discussions about the music business, gear, the podcast, and a general channel as well. You can join the discussion now by visiting bandhive.rocks slash discord. Again, that is bandhive.rocks slash discord. Welcome to episode 172 of the Bandhive Podcast. You're listening to the Bandhive Podcast, the number one online resource for DIY bands to learn about the music business and touring. If you want to turn your band into a lean, mean touring machine, you're in the right place. Now, let's get this show on the road. It is time for another episode of the Bandhive Podcast. My name is James Cross, and I help independent artists tour smart. This week, I'm talking with my good friend Connor Frost of Dizzy Bats, a songwriting coach who I've known for a few years now, and our first three-peat on the show. So welcome back, Connor. How are you today? I think I deserve a plaque of sorts. So I'll be expecting that in the mail. You know where I live, so... Yeah, I'm not going to mail it to you. I have stayed at your house. Why would I mail something to you? This is true. I will expect you to make it up that hill and drop that plaque off for me. Well, actually, speaking of dropping, maybe I'll just airdrop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Something about like a heavy physical plaque is appealing, but you know, no pressure. So here's the thing. Speaking of airdrops, it is not illegal to drop things out of a plane as long as you ensure that... There is no reasonable risk to people, property, or there's a third one, people, property, or animals, maybe, something like that. So considering the airport is closed, I could just fly down the runway and drop it. (laughs) Not going to do that in case the FAA listens in. Yeah, I was going to say, let me know when you do that just so I can take cover. Yeah, (laughs) in case I'm off course. Uh, anyway, man, it's a pleasure to have you back here on the show. And this week, we're actually going to talk about touring. And, you know, we'll get to the songwriting bit later because I have some questions about that, some refresher questions for the audience who maybe didn't hear your past episodes, which if you want to hear about songwriting and setting goals, go back to episode 80. You can find that at bandhive.rocks slash eight zero. That's the number 80. It's called Setting Your Goals for Success, Connor Frost of Dizzy Bats. And we also have episode 115, which is called Writer's Block, Not Anymore, Connor Frost of Dizzy Bats. And you can find that one at bandhive.rocks slash 115, the number 115. Those are Connor's past interviews on the show. So again, welcome back to our first three-peat. But to jump into the context of this week's episode, you and your brother Liam went on a co-headlining tour. You're in Dizzy Bats, of course, as I've said like five times already. And Liam has his own project called Oceans in the Sky. So you were each playing every night of that tour, uh, except I think the very last night was just Oceans in the Sky. Correct, correct. And then Liam was also playing bass for you, so he was doing double duty. Other way around, I was playing bass for him. Oh, you told me this last night, and I literally put it in my notes the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) All good. Yeah, I was the one doing more work. I want that to be very clear. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm also not kidding. Yeah, I was playing bass for his project. He could totally play bass for Dizzy Bats, absolutely, but... He was in the middle of an album release, the whole vinyl digital release hustle. And I honestly didn't even ask him because I know my brother very well and I didn't want to overwhelm him with more stuff. And big brother and me wanted him to be focused on his release. So future tours, Liam, if you're listening to this, not going to be as lenient. So we'll see. 
So what you're saying is pull your weight, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> no, he uh, he did a great job, and his album is it's a beautiful record. I'm super proud of him. And it was great. I mean, I love playing in that band. Uh, I'm a fan of the music, and to be able to help replicate it live was something that was really cool. And yeah, I mean, we'll get into it more, but it was definitely a special tour in that regard. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And so I just got to ask then, did you have a bass player for your band, or were you doing just guitar and drums? Yeah, so this tour was a bit of an experiment for Dizzy Bats. So I've recently been inspired by two-piece bands. Obviously, I grew up with like Black Keys and White Stripes, and I also listened to bands like The Obsessives, Nye Harvest in my 20s. I've just really been inspired by two-piece bands, not only for their ability to put forth a really full sound, but also just from like a scheduling and logistics standpoint, the idea of only having to coordinate with one other person seems absolutely incredible as someone who's had countless band members over the last you know 12 years. So it was a bit of an experiment. There were some ups and downs, which I'm sure we'll get into later in this episode, uh, in this interview rather. But yeah, it was a bit of an experiment. What I ended up doing for all these guitar and audio nerds that I know listen to your show I bought a uh, splitter pedal. I think that's what it's called. You can correct me if I'm wrong, James. But I bought a pedal that allowed me to basically split into my guitar amp as well as my bass amp. So I had a lot of low end as well as, you know, the higher, brighter side of things and created kind of the stereo effect. So we were able to play as a two-piece, but there's a little bit more juice behind it. So I made that adjustment about halfway through the tour, and it was cool. It was a lot of fun experimenting with that. Yeah, that does sound fun. I want to dig into the amps here in a second because there's something that happened with one of the amps. But before we get to that, can you give us some background? First of all, when you were planning the tour, what factors went into deciding where you were going to play? And were you able to end up playing all the markets that you wanted to target? Yeah, so I will say this tour, we scrambled a little bit. So we probably started planning for it just under three months out, which typically we do four, but just based on everything that was going on with my life as well as my brother's life, you know, ended up being just shy of three months. So yeah, there were definitely places we wanted to get to that we didn't. But fortunately, we were able to fill all the dates that we wanted to fill. Um, a few of the shows were through the network of this label that Oceans in the Sky is on called Heading East Records and basically connecting with the bands on that label and getting to play some shows with them. I guess three or four of those shows were through those bands. And so that ended up being really, really cool and just goes to show kind of the power of networking. So yeah, we were able to fill the dates we wanted to fill. We knew that we wanted some off days as as well. You know, we had to do a little bit of juggling because our drummer could basically only do the front half of the tour, wasn't able to do the final few shows, but we were able to kind of fill the spots where needed, got to the end of the tour with a few casualties, not people, more like gear. <laughs> but yeah, all in all, it ended up being a successful booking, I would say. That's good. It's always nice when it works out. You don't have any shows drop last minute. You don't have any terrible promoter stories to walk away from the tour with. That's always the sign of a, a well-thought-out, well-planned tour because you didn't book with anyone sketchy. We ended up having more control over the local bands that we played with. You know, we went through venues for a lot of these shows. And basically, when you go through venues, a lot of times you're kind of responsible to fill out the bill with local acts, as you know, James. In years past, in a lot of house shows where we've gone through like promoters or alternative spaces where we've gone through promoters, but actually having the control to 
fill out bills with bands that we legitimately liked. They were handpicked. So I think there's something to be said about having that control, especially at this stage. It does take a little bit more work when you're putting together the shows, but pros and cons to every situation, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Personally, that's my recommendation is just act as the promoter for as many shows as you can. Like you say, it does take more work, but that also means you have that control. And a lot of times you're going to get a better turnout because the promoter will just toss anyone on there, even if they're brand new, never played a show in the hopes that they might have friends to bring. But if you're running that show yourself, you can do a little more research and see, oh, like, hey, these people brought 30 people on a Wednesday night. Now it's a Saturday. So hopefully it'll be 40 or 50 because it's been a few months since they played. Looking into it that way is a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's a balance, too, because, you know, if you're booking a two week tour, you know, and you're looking to play 10 to 12 shows, that's a lot of shows to do yourself. So it's definitely a balance. And there were definitely some dates where we were like, let's just go through a promoter for a couple of these dates just because we got a lot going on. But yeah, I would say for at least probably half to 75% of them, I don't know exactly. We either went through a local band as opposed to a promoter or we booked the venue, got a hold on the date and ended up filling out the bills ourselves. Credit to my brother. Basically, the way it's been working I've booked the venues, like I've locked in the venues just because I have a lot of connections over the years through touring. And my brother Liam did kind of the research in terms of what bands would fit for each show. And so credit to him because he really was very thorough in terms of who we played with. So if you're a local band on that tour and you're listening to this, there's a reason we wanted to play a show with you and, and we are grateful that you did. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so, you know, you mentioned that was one of the first times you really did this to that extent at least. What did you learn from this tour that will affect how you prepare and plan for future tours? You know, I've learned a lot over the years through countless tours and booking tours. I think what I learned, I talk about this on social media a lot, this almost feels like a new adventure for me for touring just because there's pre-pandemic and there's post-pandemic. And honestly, I kind of thought maybe I would be done with touring. I don't I didn't know that I would ever get back to it. And so this does feel kind of like a new adventure and there's always new lessons to be learned. But I think being super clear about communication, super clear about expectations, not being afraid to let people know, let local bands know, let promoters know what your desired result is, obviously within reason, being really honest about what you bring to the table. You know, for example, there's a couple cities where we knew that we could bring a good amount of people. There are a couple cities where we knew that we'd probably bring no people. And so being upfront about that, if you can't bring anyone to sort of be like, hey, we don't really have many connections. And so we're hoping to link up with a promoter or link up with a band who can help us out with a good show and just being earnest, being honest. And worst case, people say, you know what, this isn't the right fit. And definitely that's something that I don't know that I learned, but I guess I relearned is a good way to put it. Another thing I relearned is that you shouldn't get attached to, and I say the same thing to my songwriting clients, don't get super attached to any one song. Don't get super attached to any one show. I always say you get to the end of the tour and you look back and if 50% of those shows were really good and really fulfilling and the other 50% were just kind of so-so, in my estimation, that's still a really good tour. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to think of it. Like one problem at a show isn't going to destroy your whole tour unless right. it's something that's life or death. In that case, you're not worried about the rest of the tour anymore. You're worried about that show. You're worried about the people in that room in that moment. So 
I think you have a great point there. Like, if you get to the end of the tour, that's a good sign. That's a good sign, yes. If you are alive and kicking by the end of a two-week, month-long, six-week run, then that's a good thing. Yeah, especially with, first of all, the costs of touring have gone up. Thankfully, gas prices are coming back down to about where they were a year ago, which we're recording this four or five weeks in advance. So who knows what the gas prices will be early to mid-March. But as of today, February 7th, gas prices are like 340 around here in my area. Probably similar up where you are in Shelburne. You're only an hour away. Down south, they're about a dollar lower. So that was nice to experience those gas prices. Oh, yeah. You did make it over to Texas, right? Yeah, yeah. Texas was, I think we saw like, I want to say 267 was maybe the lowest we saw. Yeah. Texas is the last place I've ever seen sub $2 gas prices. And that was back at the tail end of 2018. We did a tour early 2019 down south. And I think we got a couple sub $2 gas prices. That's fantastic. Really, really exciting, really <laughs> exciting stuff <laughs> discussing gas prices. Yeah. Hey, if you have a tour manager's <laughs> mind like we do. <laughs> no, I know. No, I know you are. I know this topic is, is actually very exciting for you. And it is for me as well. It's very dry content for the listeners. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, but that's okay. We can go through dry spells every so often. Well, speaking of ups and downs, like gas prices. The tour had some ups and downs as well. You mentioned there were some equipment malfunctions and specifically, I believe one of your amps blew up. Yes. And it just got fixed. So shout out to Dan Maria, who lives in South Burlington, Vermont. He operates a tube amp repair business out of his basement and he's the best around. Apparently he totally revived my amp. But yeah, basically the first night of tour, something was going on with my amp. It was cutting out and I didn't think much of it. I thought maybe it was like a pedal situation or like a patch cable situation. Seemingly it was okay like the next night. But then when we got to Atlanta, which I think was our third or fourth show, the amp just didn't turn on. And so we did a little bit of Googling and we thought maybe it was a blown fuse. And we later realized that one of the tubes had fallen out. And I guess in replacing the tube, we put it back incorrectly. We were not thorough in our putting the tube back in the right spot. When we went to turn it on after we replaced the fuse, there was like a spark in the back of the amp. So yeah, basically we had to buy a solid state amp from Guitar Center, which we used for the rest of tour. And we also, you know, we borrowed amps when we could kind of thing. It ended up not being like a huge deal. I'm $200 less wealthy than I was getting that repair, but it could be a worse situation. Oh, and one of my pedals broke. I got this like new synth bass pedal for Oceans in the Sky because there's a lot of synth pop stuff in that band. And my brother got it for me for Christmas. And I don't know what happened, but the top of the trigger just like totally was gone forever. And so... Shout out to my guy, Dan, who also repaired that for me. But, you know, could be worse. Yeah, all things said and done. The amp didn't take out any eyes. It didn't catch fire. Yeah, well, it did spark. <laughs> it didn't set the venue on fire. But it didn't set the venue on fire, and we're still here, so can't complain. Yeah, that is always a good thing. Now, before we start to wrap this up, aside from being a musician yourself, you also are a songwriting coach, and that's what we've kind of talked about on the past episodes. And... That's how we know each other, actually, is because you reached out to be on the podcast and then you moved an hour away from me and now we're friends, which is fantastic. All part of my master plan to get closer to James. So this is where we are. <laughs> I didn't realize I had a stalker. The last time I had a stalker was 2014, at least as far as I know. <laughs> You're due for one, so. Apparently so, apparently so. On this tour, you met up with several clients and at least one of them played a show with you. 
How was it to see those songs coming alive then? You know, I'm sure they were playing some of the songs that you helped them with, right? What was that like? Just for a little bit of context, my business is online. My songwriting coaching business is online. So I develop really meaningful relationships with these songwriters over Zoom for anywhere between eight weeks to a year and beyond. And so to get to meet people who have been sharing their deepest, darkest secrets through songwriting over the internet to get to meet them in person. For me, it's just something that's really special. And it's this combination of two worlds coming together, two worlds that are so meaningful and so important to me and that I've also created and that I'm very proud of both touring as well as this online business and songwriting coaching world. And so really was truly special. And so for my clients who are listening to this, and I know there are a few, I don't take it for granted. And I feel so lucky to have met you. I feel so lucky to have connected with you. And I think just getting to connect in person is just a really awesome bonus. So yeah, basically my client, Mike, was kind of on his own traveling experience. He bought a minivan recently and he decided, you know what, I'm just going to drive. And basically he texted me. He was like, hey man, like I'm out here, you know, send me your tour schedule. I would love to link up with you. It turned out that Orlando was the show for us to link up. And at that show, I was like, hey Mike, like where are you going next? And he was like, I have no idea. And I was like, well, do you want to like come to Tallahassee with us and you can open the show? Like, is that something you're interested in? And he was like, well, yeah. And so, so we caravaned to Tallahassee the next day and he opened the show and he played one song that we had worked on together and one song that we hadn't. It was like a newer tune. It was just kind of this crazy fusion of two worlds. And, you know, I had another client who didn't play a show, but came out to show in Houston, drove three hours from Austin to come meet me, to come see us play. And yeah, just a really special tour in that regard. And I love the internet. I love how it's able to bring us all together. And, you know, for all of its pitfalls, it's really cool to be able to connect with so many people. Yeah, that sounds fantastic, especially knowing that you've made that connection, that somebody's willing to drive three hours just to see you. Because on that show for Houston, they weren't on the show. They were just attending, right? Correct. They drove three hours and booked a hotel. And thankfully, so they're not driving six hours in one day. And I just feel extremely proud and lucky and fortunate to be able to live out this life and this particular musical life. And I really believe there's no better time to be a musician. I think it's as easy as it's ever been to reach people. I think this tour was just this beautiful reminder of that. And I can go on and on, but I, I'm just so grateful for making those connections and getting to see them through in person. Yeah. You know, I think you're absolutely right, especially about what you said about it's easier than ever before, because really, if you have the technological skills, you can make an album that sounds exactly like a major label production from 20 years ago. And if you don't have the skills, you can find somebody who does, and it's probably cheaper than you expect. We're talking like 500 to 1,000 per song. That's dirt cheap. It used to be like 20,000 a song to get those results. Now it's 500 to 1,000. So if you want to get your music out there, it's absolutely within reach. And on that note, what would you recommend? And this is a huge question. We could go down this rabbit hole for hours, I'm sure, since this is like your forte. What would you recommend to artists who are struggling to get their thoughts, their feelings, those deepest, darkest secrets that you mentioned onto tape. They want to record a song, but they're struggling with that and they want to share it with the world, but they don't know what to do. What would you recommend? Yeah. So I think the first step is to get some foundational knowledge as it relates to songwriting or production. If you're going the production route, if we were to break down songwriting for me, 
It's getting a clear understanding of how melody works, how lyrics work, and how song structure works, right? That's the core of a song. So if you don't have that background yet, that's definitely like a good place to start. Beyond that, a lot of times I think for those of you who are listening to this who have that knowledge and you can write a song, you're just having trouble sort of taking that next step. I would just say, try not to be afraid of taking imperfect action, right? I think we get so wrapped up in what so-and-so might think and to just embrace this journey that we're all on and recognize that even with releasing something, even with writing something, it's not going to be perfect. And there's learning experiences that will come from that, right? And so if you can kind of embrace the journey of being a student of music for life, it becomes a lot easier. From a goal-setting task management standpoint, I would recommend, and I talk about this in past episodes with James, picking three missions to do each week. Not be so concerned with the amount of time you're spending on music. Just really pick three things that you want to accomplish. Get really specific about them and go at it, right? This week, I'm actually doing a challenge with some of my clients where we're challenging all of us in the community to write for 15 minutes a day. So if you only have 15 minutes a day to write, if you can really focus and know exactly what you should be working on, you're going to make those steps. So I would say, Take those baby steps and really focus on three missions each week to get you closer to where you're ultimately looking to go. Oh, that's great. And so, for example, writing 15 minutes a day, that's one of those missions is on this day, I'm going to write for 15 minutes. I'm going to write this part of the song or this element of the song. Basically, all of my clients who are in the community who are partaking in this challenge, they all have their specific missions that they're working on this week. What I'm encouraging them to do is to look at those missions and say, okay, let me tackle one of these or part of even one mission today for 15 minutes, for 30 minutes, just focus on that for the time being. For those who maybe don't have a specific missions, maybe they're starting to write a new song, I'm providing some prompts, some lyric writing prompts that they can use if they need some help kind of getting started. So yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but the idea behind the 15 minutes a day, which I'm also doing for the record, is to eliminate the energy that it takes to decide if you should write today. So if you can eliminate that energy and just say, well, I'm doing 15 minutes a day and I got to find that time, in theory, easier said than done, but it becomes a smoother decision of like, okay, yes, I just need to find 15 minutes. And so, yeah, it's a bit of an experiment, but so far we're two days into it and it's been really cool to see the updates from my students who are making strides with their songs by writing 15 or more minutes a day. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love the point that you make of it takes that decision out because I know so many times I've been like, oh yeah, I could do that today, but I'm not going to. Whereas if I'm saying to myself in advance, I'm going to do this every day, that makes it a lot easier mentally. There's no extra hurdle. You've eliminated one of the hurdles to that process. Yeah. In theory, it just like becomes like brushing your teeth, which, you know, hopefully people do every day. There's no debate. You just sort of have to do it. Now, I am a realist in this in that are you going to write every single day for the rest of your life? Maybe not. I certainly am not going to hold myself to that. <laughs> but I think the idea is if you set a practice like that, even if you end up only doing five out of the seven days in a week, but still a lot more than you would have done had you not set that practice of 15 minutes a day of, of songwriting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you think about it, four days is an hour. So you're doing almost two hours of writing every single week. Whereas a lot of people would say two hours, I can't sit down for two hours. Well, take a chunk out of it. 
You're looking at an hour, 45 minutes a week. That's great. Yeah. And so we'll see how it goes, but I'm excited about it. I myself have been doing it basically since I got back from tour. And that's what kind of inspired me to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to bring my students into this. And it's been really cool. It's been really inspiring to see our Slack channel just kind of like blowing up. I did this today. I did this today. So I'll I'll keep everyone posted on how that goes. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing the updates on that because... If that's effective, that could apply to so many things in music, not just songwriting. Absolutely. And life. (laughs) Anyway, Connor, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Super appreciate it. Stoked to have you here talking about touring. Get that crossover content out of you. (laughs) That was not a pun. For context, in case people are wondering, my last name is Cross. That's why Connor's laughing. (laughs) Anyway, before we head back out into the frosty cold, that one was intentional because it's eight degrees outside. Where should people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so Instagram's a good place, at Connor L. Frost, my band, at Dizzy Bats Music. Those are two places you could definitely connect with me. I do have a new updated video training. It's called How to Confidently Turn Your Chord Progressions into Finished Songs. So if you're interested in claiming that, it's a free training. Just go to ConnorFrost.com, C-O-N-N-O-R, Frost, F-R-O-S-T, dot com, slash, video training. It's 25 minutes long, breaks down the steps. So if you're someone who's having trouble taking those ideas, turning them into completed songs, I promise you, you're going to get some value out of this. It's totally free. Just go check it out. And I hope you enjoy it. All right. Fantastic. Connor, again, thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and we'll talk soon. You as well, James. Thanks. That does it for this episode of the Bandhive podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope that this interview with Connor Frost has given you some insight into how an independent artist can tour and plan things effectively so things don't go terribly wrong on the road. So yeah, you know what? His amp blew up. That is no fun. But they were able to continue the tour without any major issues aside from that. So that's really fantastic, especially for an independent artist in COVID times, because let's face it, COVID is unfortunately still around. It's not going away. We know that. But you can tour and you can do it safely and you can do it successfully. So if you want to learn more about touring as an independent artist and how you can properly tour manage yourself to make sure you don't lose too much money or in fact, even turn a profit, head on over to bandhive.rocks tour where you can book a free tour consultation with me. Again, that is bandhive.rocks tour and we'll do a deep dive into your band and your touring history if you have any or just what tours you want to do if you haven't toured before. Again, that is bandhive.rocks tour and it is entirely free. So feel free to head on over there and book your consultation now. Thank you again to Connor for joining us on the show and we'll be back next Tuesday at 6 a.m. right here in your favorite podcast app. Until then, I hope you have a great week. Stay safe. And of course, as always, keep rocking. Hey, you. Yeah, you with the headphones or the speakers. You've made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. While I still have you here, if you're not already in the Bandhive Facebook community, it would be great to see you there. We have over 600 like-minded musicians who are asking questions, sharing their experiences and advice, and much more. So if you want to improve your band's business, look no further than the Bandhive Facebook community. You can find it by searching for Bandhive on Facebook, that's B-A-N-D-H-I-V-E, or going to bandhive.rocks slash group. Again, that's bandhive.rocks slash group, and that will automatically redirect you to our Facebook community. I look forward to seeing you there soon.